Good morning, everyone. Thank you for having us here today. So I think you all know I'm Jocelyn Hunter. It's my husband, Nick Hunter, and we're really excited to be here. And it's a privilege to just share about where God has taken us in life and the things he's done through us and the journey that we've been on. So we wanted to just start by introducing what we did and where we have been. Um, We've been home in the States now for a few months, about three and a half months. But before that, we were overseas for one year. And we were working with an organization called YWAM, which is Youth with a Mission. They've been around for... 50, 60 years now almost, and they're all over the world, the biggest mission organization in the world. And we were with the YWAM base of Perth, Australia. So that was our home base while we were away. And I did a school called the Birth Attendance School. So this was a school that I had felt God speak to me to do several years ago, about four or five years ago. And to do that school, you do their entry-level program, which is a discipleship discipleship training school, which is six months long. And so I did that before Nick and I were married. And then we got married and decided to do the birth attendant school together. So the birth attendant school is a one year program. It's three months of intense training and then about eight months of outreach. And it took us all over the world. So we want to share about what that was like and about our time in Perth as well. Yeah. And we are going to try to save some time at the end for questions. So if you think of anything that we don't cover, save it, and hopefully we'll have like 10 minutes um, at the end. But one thing I wanted to say is that one of the first things I ever learned about Jocelyn is that she had plans to come do this school. The first night when we met, actually, at a young adult's uh, house group, as we were kind of saying some brief introductory things, one of the first things she said is, yeah, and then I'm going to go do this six-month school and then this year-long school after it. And so it was like, wow, this girl has some passion in her. And so that was February of 2016, just to kind of give some context, um, that she's had this in her heart for a while. And then uh, we finally left in uh, July 2018. So the first place we went was Perth, Australia. It's a a beautiful city, Western Australia. There's not much in Western Australia, so Perth is is really where most of the people live on that entire side of the continent um, of Australia. And it's a beautiful city. Kind of reminded me of Cincinnati in some ways. I don't know what you can see. Um, Just, you know, not extremely huge, but definitely not small few skyscrapers and everything. And when we arrived, it was winter, July. Um, so that meant that it was raining almost every day, which we were not expecting. Uh, we thought Australia would be sunny and warm all the time. Um, it basically rained every single day and was cold, um, like 40s and 50s, you know, it, like n- not our kind of winter, but it was their kind of winter. And I uh, had to get a picture with the koalas, so we went, um, yeah, just right when we got there, did some exploring just to kind of get used to the area, the time zone, get over jet lag, and so we went and did kind of the stereotypical things, saw some kangaroos, um, saw some koalas. The base, the YWAM base 
there is the third biggest in the world, I think, of the YWAM bases. Um, so there are about two or three hundred staff on this base, and every quarter they bring in about one or two hundred students. So there's a lot of people um, coming in and out of there, and they really do a great job as a missions hub, training people, sending them out to the world, to the nations. And one thing that I was involved in there was the kitchen. So I I helped uh, feed the 500 people that that are coming in and out of there, um, just cooking these humongous meals, um, serving people, going out uh, shopping for the kitchen. Yeah, so that that was, um, besides, some of you may know this, I was doing uh, grad school online. Still am, but while we were over there, I was doing my studies. So that was that was sort of the main thing that I would do while Jocelyn was in class learning. You know, it's hard to be in a place like that and not want to get involved with everything. And so I also tried to stay involved in different ways. Uh, and the kitchen was one of those ways. We did a lot of things separate while we were in Perth because I was in class all day and he was doing grad school in the kitchen. But also we did a lot of things together like evangelism. YWAM is very focused on evangelism and reaching people with the news of Jesus. And so every Friday afternoon, the entire base of like 500 people would just descend on the city of Perth. And Perth is very, very diverse and multicultural. It's very beautiful in that sense. And so we met people from all over the world, even before we felt like we were on the missions field. Sometimes, I mean, we were on the missions field in Perth, Australia, but sometimes you think, oh, if they speak the same language of me, it doesn't feel like missions, but it still is. And even more so when we got to meet people from all around the world at the same time. So that was something we did as a base and... We did as a couple, and we really enjoyed during our time. So like Nick said, I was in class um, every day, every weekday, and learned a lot about midwifery in 12 weeks. (laughs) It was pretty overwhelming at times. Um, They really try to cram in a lot of information, but it's not a end-all training that you're just done after 12 weeks. We take what we've learned and we go immediately to outreach and implement what we've learned, and we learn along the way. So um, that was a big thing that was part of our time there was the midwifery training. We also did things like um, car washes to raise money. We did a run-a-thon to raise money for our outreach, different things with our team, with our school that we really enjoyed. And we'll probably say it a few times. I don't know if you said it already, but we especially just want to thank everyone who gave to us um, you may have gotten some messages when we were doing the run-a-thon, um, trying to save money. Um, it's really, you know, there's a certain cost that it takes just to get there, but then when you're there, there's a lot of fundraising for the other places that we're going. And so many of you supported us in that way, and we just want to thank you so much, um, as well as just covering us in prayer through this entire trip. And so... The car wash and the runathon were some examples of of what we did. Bake sales as well, um, and just a whole lot of prayer and intercession into finances went into that. Yeah, thank you all so much for being part of our team, supporting us back home. So now moving on to Uganda, 
the first place we went on outreach was Uganda, Africa. And we were there for the longest time of any country that we went on outreach. We were there for about 11 weeks. So this is our team that we are with. We are a team of 17. And yes, Nick is the only guy. And he was the only guy the entire eight months of outreach. So he's a real trooper and it was really hard, but God brought a lot of grace to that as well. So we had three staff members, 13 students, and Nick. And so he was the brother of the team, the big brother to all the sisters, and really supported us and looked out for us while we were sometimes in more like um, tense situations. He could really bring a diffusing calm to it being a male, which helped a lot. So starting in Uganda, we arrived on after flying for quite a bit of time because we always take the cheapest flights with YWAM. And so we flew a lot to get there. And the next day we did a clinic of over 70 women. And that was our beginning point of our ministry in Uganda. So this is me weighing a baby under a mango tree. And that was how we checked to make sure that the babies were growing properly was to put them in this little swing under a mango tree with a scale and see how much they weighed to see if they were growing from their last um, clinic that they came to. So that was uh, quite a culture shock, quite getting right into things immediately. And we were really excited. We really didn't know what we were getting into. So it was more exciting at first. And then when we had to go to the next clinic like this, we were all like, oh no, this is so overwhelming. We're not sure we want to go to this one again. It was very, very busy, but we enjoyed it a lot. And, yep, during Uganda, um, we did a lot of hospital experience. We had never been as the birth attendant school to Uganda before, or at least not in a long time. And so the beginning stages of outreach looks like getting letters of permission to get into hospitals. And it's quite a lot of back and forth and quite a lot of, oh, you don't have this certain signature, so you have to go to the other side of town to get this person's signature. And, oh, you have to go make an appointment here now to do this. And it's a lot of back and forth. And a lot of prayer goes into that because one little thing can throw off everything. And so we did get permission into several hospitals, which was amazing. And we got permission into a really big government referral hospital to work. And within about three weeks, I think, of being in Uganda, I did my first delivery as a midwife. And that was really exciting. That's little baby right there. And she's almost one now. Her birthday is the 23rd of October. So I was very excited to do my first delivery. This is something that I felt God called me to do for a long time, to be a midwife and to be a midwife in a developing nation. And I finally got to do that. And so it was very, very exciting. One thing uh, that's really that's really cool about the BAS, uh, the Birth Attendant School, is that they really... Um, the girls really bring a different culture into medicine, into the hospitals. Um, and I don't just mean that it's a bunch of white girls going in. Um, but they bring a different spiritual culture. And they bring a different culture of care for people, for mothers and babies. That is not always the case in these other countries. And so one thing that they do is that they pray and ask God for a name for the baby, for every single baby that's delivered. And it's more so as like a personal, and as the BAS, they have a whole scroll of every baby that's been delivered on this school. Um, And it's 
we reached 6,000 this year. Um, so that's not just for our year, but for like the 20 years that the birth attendance school has been in existence. But yeah, so if if the mother asks for help naming the baby, which sometimes they do, then that's a chance to share that name. Otherwise, it's just like kept um, to themselves and then written down later. And so what was this baby's name? Autumn Grace. This was Autumn Grace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing that we do as a birth attendant school is that we put a hat on every baby that we deliver and many other babies that we are with the mothers, even if we don't do the delivery. Um, These are hats that mothers and grandmothers and family members have knit for us to take, and we take thousands with us on outreach. And we believe that um, it's kind of an act of declaring, like, it's a helmet of salvation is what we say. And so we put the helmet of salvation on the baby and we pray over their life. And it really brings, um, I think, something significant, especially in Uganda where there is a lot of Christianity, but there's also a lot of witchcraft. And sometimes mothers will come into the hospital and the baby is hasn't been born yet, but the baby's in um, distress. And there's a lot of complications that can happen. And we really believe that has to do with the spiritual dynamics there and just what has been done um, before the woman's even come to the hospital with maybe going to a witch doctor and having spells cast on them or drinking potions. Um, there's a lot of spiritual darkness. And so we want to take back that authority and we want to declare life and we want to declare um, the blood of Jesus over this little baby and declare that this baby um, is a child of God. And so that's what we do is we put a hat on each baby. And that's just a way that we want to be different as a culture of midwives. We want to be godly midwives. And we want to, yeah, a big part of what we do is just sharing the gospel with women as they're even in labor. It may sound funny to a lot of women to think like, wow, you could think while you're in labor, but you can. And it's not always fast paced. And there's lots of opportunities where there's stillness just to talk to women and pray for women. And we've had many women give their life to Jesus as they're bringing their first child into the world. And I think that's very beautiful. Yeah, it was just amazing to hear the stories that the girls would come back with of evangelism to the families just through that it's really the entire purpose of the school the school was started to reach specifically muslim women because they they may not normally get a chance to really speak for themselves um, in daily life but in childbirth is one of the only times when they can be alone with the woman and so it gives them just a direct time. And so, so many women uh, gave their lives to Jesus just through these conversations, through the girls sharing with them. So it was really amazing to see. Okay, moving on to you. This, so this, um, this was just kind of a goofy picture. We all uh, put our hair in little buns, and now that kind of turned into something that I, I just do now. Um, but uh, this was the worship team uh, for our year, really the whole year, or maybe outreach mostly. So that, that was one of the ways that I served on the team. Um, so like I said, I did the kitchen when we were in Perth, and then on outreach, one of the main ways uh, that I helped on the team was by helping leading worship. So we worshiped as a team twice a week for about an hour each time. It was, it was an amazing time 
even for myself personally, that's the most I've ever worshipped in like a daily lifestyle. You know, sometimes it's 20 to 30 minutes at church once a week, but um, this time it was for an hour or two every week. So yeah, a lot of fun. Really enjoyed leading the team in that way. I also kept doing my grad school, which came to realize was tougher than I thought it was going to be. I wouldn't recommend it if anyone is thinking about going overseas for a year and doing grad school at the same time. But yeah, it stretched me a lot. Sometimes the Wi-Fi for the entire city would go out and you just have to kind of adapt to that. And so I, I emailed some of my professors from time to time and just said, hey, we're going here and there, you know, we're going to this island for 10 days. If I don't submit an assignment, I'm sorry. But yeah, it was very, uh, very stretching, kind of, we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but yeah, it it ended up being a little too stretching, kind of stretched me beyond my breaking point. But we'll talk about some other things before then. One thing that we did a lot of in Uganda was evangelism and uh, discipleship as well, because there, like I said, there's a lot of Christians there, but there's a great need for discipleship. And so as a way to do both, we went to the same slum every week while we were there, and it was called Masese Slum. And this is a picture of Nick with a few of the children there. The little boy is the one in the pink shirt, and he is holding Nick's hand. His name's Asad, and he loved Nick. As the first time we came there, he ran up to him and wanted to be with him. And every time we came, he would run up and find Nick, and he would spend the whole time with him. And Masese Slum is um, its a really, really challenging place. There's um, not a lot of good um, sewer options. I'm not sure. There's just open sewage in places, and there are many, many children who don't have a father or have had fathers come in and out of their lives. There's not a lot of really solid marriages there. And it's a place where they really need love. The children just want to be loved by you. And so we were able to establish a lot of relationship in Masese. And so Nick really related to this little boy, Asad. And then um, this little boy here that I'm playing with, I didn't have a name for him. I never heard his name, but he reminded me of little Mike Wazowski from uh, Monsters, Inc. (laughs) So I called him Mike. Um, He would run around. He was just really, really cute with big, bright eyes and a bald head, and he never had pants on, only a shirt. And it just reminded me of Mike Wazowski. So his name was Mike. And I always would play with him and see him. And it was really, um, really touching and beautiful when on our last day in Masese, we had raised money and we were able to distribute about 100 Bibles in their language in Masese. Um, and people from back home had given towards that and it was really touching time but we went to Assad's mom to give a Bible to her and in that moment we discovered that Assad and Mike were brothers and we didn't know that the entire time they probably were like half brothers um, but just the two children that we had both felt drawn to and we'd both felt to build a connection and relationship with actually we're brothers. And we felt that was really special of um, God to just show us that, that his heart's always for family and that he always wants to pursue the whole family. And that was a really, um, really touching moment for us that we will never forget. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is uh, Jocelyn and another girl from our team, Aaliyah, um, praying for a man in the slum. And yeah, he he was having nightmares or something. Yeah, so that's why she has her hand on his head, um, just praying over his sleep and his thoughts. And yeah, really amazing. Um, you know, it it was like when we felt like we were just so far removed from normal, being in this slum in on the other side of the world. Um, there's really only one time where we were like even more removed, which we're going to talk about next, but just week after week we would go to the slum and see amazing things happen, just people giving their lives to Jesus. We would usually go with some translators, and there are churches in the slum, and they're they're trying to reach out, but it's just a very disorganized living situation. Yeah, if, you know, for any city planners or anything like that, just it, it would drive you crazy because it's just, you, you just wonder how they keep going, but they do, they do keep going, and and we were able to shine some light there. Like I said, the only time we were even more removed from safety, um, so we we went to Perth, had a base there. From that base, we went to Uganda, had a base there. And then from that base, for 10 days, we went to an island on Lake Victoria called Lingira Island. Um, and that was just like, that just truly felt like living by faith. We were like, okay, we are literally out in the middle of nowhere. We had power for about two hours a day um, from a solar panel. We had one power strip for the entire team to try to charge all of our devices and things like that. No running water. Yeah, no running water. Um, so it, it, was, it was very tough and stretching. And we rode out on this little boat, um, and then we would go from that island to other islands to do ministry and I, one just kind of funny story, we uh, were on even a smaller boat than this, actually, to go to different islands. And we were just chugging along, and then our, our, the boat conductor says something to our translator, and then the translator looks at all of us, and he's like, he's asking if everyone knows how to swim. And, <laughs> And so we're just like, um, I think so. Uh, hopefully we won't need that information right now, but um, I think we do know how to swim. Uh, but we did make it safely to all the islands. There's, there's a bacteria or something, a parasite in uh, the lake just by the shore. And so when you get to the shore... You drive the boat up as much as you can, and then they basically come out and carry you from the boat onto shore. And so that just provided some, yeah, some comic relief, but also it, it was frustrating at times. Sometimes they would ask for money, um, and, you know, we, we don't want to pay them all just to carry us onto shore. And so, yeah, really just r- such an adventure. Um, but it was on these islands that we saw some of the most amazing things that, that God did. And it, 
it really just goes to show, I, I think partly just being so outside of our comfort zone, just really, like I said, living on faith, where we would go to these islands and, you know, just so little in common with these people, barely share anything in common, but through our translators, we were able to share with them, pray for them. One of my favorite stories was a, a Muslim man who was talking to us, and uh, he said he used to be a Christian, but uh, he said it, it, he felt like it wasn't doing anything in his life, or something like that, um, and he became a Muslim, which is one of the other main religions in Uganda, Islam, and he had, so we were talking to him, and we said, can we pray for him, and he said uh, he had, his stomach was hurting, and again, it's through translation, we don't know exactly what it was, but something in this region uh, was hurting. We asked him for how long, and he said for one year it had been hurting him. So we asked if we could pray for him, and he said, sure. We pray for him. He was healed right on the spot, right there. Um, asked him, do you have pain? And he kind of has this surprised look on his face, and he's just like, no, no, there's no pain. And so we said, that's Jesus. Like, Jesus is God. He, he is the one who healed you. And so through some more conversation, he ends up giving his life to Jesus again, um, or however that works. But um, he, um, yeah, he became a Christian then. And many stories like that, that day of just people getting healed, people giving their lives to Jesus. It was just an amazing time of ministry that really, truly felt like being with Jesus. You know, the stories we read in the Bible um, that, that we just don't see a, a lot these days, um, but that that are really possible. And so that, that was, yeah, that was just some amazing ministry that we got to do. Yeah, we saw a lot. Uh, we saw God do a lot in Uganda, a lot of miracles and a lot of people giving their life to him. And it is uh, predominantly Christian and Muslim, and we really want to reach Muslim women. And so it was amazing to just see the women who we would talk to and tell them about Jesus. And they would say, I had a dream about him. I, I know who that is. I had a dream about him. And that's such a way that God speaks to Muslims is through their dreams. And it was amazing to see that in person. Say, that person that you saw in your dream, that's Jesus. And he wants to talk to you today. He wants to be with you today. And he's real. And that was something that we saw over and over again. But being in Uganda was also really hard. We saw a lot of really beautiful things, but we also saw a lot of injustice and we saw a lot of pain. And I've been overseas before. I've seen injustice. I've seen um, vulnerable people. I've seen children on the street. And that all of that breaks my heart. But being in a hospital really was a new level for me of that. And so God really taught me a lot in Uganda about how to grieve with families. And that's something that I had never really um, encountered before. I had never really learned how to grieve well with people before. And that was something that he really did in me was um, showing me that I could be present even when it was hard and painful and I didn't want to be there. But I could be present because in the midst of the grief and the pain, that's where God was in that moment. And that's where he wanted to be. And he wanted me to come and be his hands and his feet to this family. And 
in a span, I remember um, maybe in like November or something, but in a span of about eight days, I sat with three different families who lost their baby and none of those babies should have been lost. It was circumstances beyond the mom's control or beyond situations that made sense. And so many things play into that with malnutrition and um, a lack of resources and all different things like that. Um, the hospital that we worked at, they had one doctor and one operating room. So if a woman needed an emergency C-section, the doctor had to be available, the operating room had to be available and cleaned, and the power had to be working. And sometimes all of those things didn't happen at the same time. And so this baby right here is really a miracle baby. Um, his mom was not doing well in labor. And there was a lot of complications, and she needed an emergency C-section, and it wasn't going to happen. And she then she needed to be transferred to a different hospital, but the ambulance didn't have any fuel. And they said the family had to pay for the fuel to transfer her, and the family didn't have money. Um, so we were trying to put together money to pay for the fuel for the ambulance to send this woman on. And finally, we realized she won't make it two hours in an ambulance. This can only be an act of God to save her life and the life of her baby. And we prayed and prayed and prayed because we believe that's one of our roles as midwives is to pray. And we saw a miracle in this baby and this mom lived. And it was something that we didn't expect to happen, but we were so grateful and relieved that it did. And we really saw God work a miracle that day. And... It's an amazing story, but there's also days where we saw um, death and we didn't see a miracle. And that's a lot to wrestle with and a lot to understand afterwards of, God, I prayed and I prayed and I didn't see something happen. What happened? Why didn't you come through today? And God really um, brought me close during those seasons and really showed me his heart and his character and his goodness and I learned a lot about him, and I learned a lot about his heart for people, and I learned a lot about grieving with families. And it was really, really, really hard, and it's something I'm still working through a lot right now. But I'm so thankful that I was able to grieve with these families and be God with them in those moments when they were alone. And in Uganda and in many countries, um, death isn't the same as it is to us, maybe in the U.S., where it is shocking and it's horrible if someone we know dies. And in Uganda, they all know someone who's died. And so it's not um, something that they really take time to grieve over. It's something that just happens. And yet people need to grieve and they need to be able to process. And so we got to be someone in those moments who allowed them the opportunity to grieve and allowed them to hold their baby and um, have those moments that they'll never forget because they got to grieve in the moment. So Uganda, um, and I realize now, seeing the time, it's 9.42, and we're only like three months into our trip. But really, I think many of the significant things, Uganda was the the most we spent in any country besides Australia. So it was kind of our main outreach country when we think about it, which is maybe why we're sharing more about it. And yeah, we'll try to share about everything else. But um, just lastly, in Uganda, um, so I had mentioned that I was kind of like stretched past my breaking point. What I mean by that is I found that it, I was just under more stress than I realized. 
and started dealing with a lot of intense anxiety that came from that. Part of it was probably just the normal kind of culture shock that you might expect. You know, the longest I had been out of the country before this trip was two weeks, um, and then leaving for an entire year was something very different. So, yeah, Uganda, towards the end, just really started having a lot of anxiety, um, had some panic attacks, which I'd, I'd never experienced before in my life. And that kind of continued for the remainder of our trip, uh, like a battle with the anxiety. It was, it was very much a roller coaster. And if you were following our blogs at all, sometimes we posted about that and just asking for prayer. But one thing that I really learned from this trip and one big takeaway um, is just how to trust God um, because I realized that it, it's it's really in the times when you feel like you have nothing left that that you really learn how to trust God because you kind of have to. Um, and we just, I think, came to the end of our ourselves so many times. It was a constant coming to the end of ourselves. This entire trip was just like, well, I've used up all the strength that I have, so... Either God comes through here, or we're just going to have to go home early. We're going to have, um, and, you know, and that is even a thought that that we considered, and our, and our leaders had even brought it before us, like, if this is too much, you guys can head home early, but we both wanted to finish, we both wanted to finish what we felt like God called us to, and so... Yeah, I think we both we both learned a lot about how to trust God in extremely difficult times and the rest of the trip we were trying to walk that out and we're still trying to walk that out and you know it's been a lot of prayer and getting counseling and resting and just trying to do healthy things things not things for our mental health um we realized are important just as for our spiritual and physical health. So that that was tough and we went back to Perth for some for Christmas and New Year's and that is us and you can see uh, I was in much need of a haircut and a good shave by that time but we took the 3 or 4 weeks in Perth um to try to do a bit of recovery and to try to regroup and celebrate Christmas, even though it was like 95 degrees that day or something. Um, Yeah, and so, do you have anything to say about this time? Yeah, we better keep moving. Um, Yeah, so jumping next to India, we left, I think, January 7th for India, and we were going to India for five months. That was the plan. That's what we had been told. The birth attendant school had been going to Hyderabad, India for 16 years. We had great relationships in the hospital there. Um, They had seen God do a lot over the years. And so we were ready to do a lot of hospital work. One of the hospitals that we were going to work in, they did about 120 deliveries a day. So there was a lot of opportunity for us to get a lot of experience. And um, during that time, we also did, for my school, we did a second lecture phase. So we did classes again while we were on outreach to continue learning more about complications of labor and things like that. 
And Nick was doing a lot of grad school. He was working out at a gym, meeting some friends, which was really nice. And everything was going pretty well. We were starting to get pretty exhausted and burned out already because the speed of India was just really quick for us. And then suddenly, three weeks into our time in India, we had immigration come to us, and they told us we had to leave. And that was completely unexpected, like by everyone. And um, it really boils down to persecution happening more and more in India right now against Christians. And they knew that we were a Christian organization, and they decided finally that they didn't want us there. And so they said we couldn't be there on our tourist visa anymore, even though we had come for 15 years on a tourist visa and had been fine. So we... um, We're told we had two weeks to leave India, and we had no plan because we were supposed to be in India for five months. So there was a lot of scrambling and trying to figure out what we're doing and where we're going. But during that time, we were able to go south to a wedding for some of Nick's friends. And it's actually at the end of all these India pictures. This is the delivery I did in India of a little girl. And these are some babies more babies. And then these are our friends in India. Their um, brother was getting married and Nick lived with these guys for a couple of years out in California and was really close to them. And so we were thankful that even in the midst of being kicked out of India, we could still travel south and go to our friend's wedding. And it was just really life-giving to be with another couple, another married couple. Since on the team, we were all, with all single girls. We really needed that relationship with another couple in that time. So that was something that brought a lot of life to us, and we're really, really thankful for that. And so then we had to figure out where are we going and what's going to happen. So needless to say, this was a very stressful time of a team that was already a bit stressed, um, and us being already a bit stressed, being the only married couple on the team. And we we came to realize the school really is designed uh, for single people, kind of the pace that it that it goes at. Um, so we started having to be a little bit more clear with our leaders about what we need. And we started kind of like taking a break from certain activities to just have some time just for us, um, which helped a lot. We had a layover in Malaysia basically for one month. Um, so we didn't really know what we were doing day by day. Thought we were getting back to India couldn't get back into India, so we tried to get into some different countries. Yeah, yeah, it was a really um, both refreshing and challenging five weeks because we uh, were in kind of a more developed nation, could actually take like a real shower, not a bucket shower. Um, The food in India was so spicy. spicy. (laughs) And so it's nice to have a little less spice in our life. Um, And so there was some things that were refreshing about Malaysia, but we also were in this crazy holding time of we don't know where we're going for the next three months. While we were in Malaysia, we had to move three times of where we were staying, our whole team. Um, And so it was also still challenging. And so we'll kind of breeze through the next portion of where we went um, because in some ways there's not a lot to tell. We went to Nepal for five weeks and we didn't get to do much in the hospital, and that had been the plan. We were supposed to get to do lots in the hospital because this is a birth attendant school, and we didn't get to do very much. And I think my whole team did 10 deliveries in five weeks, and in India we did 50 deliveries in three weeks. And so the perspective is just very different of what we did there. 
And so we struggled a lot in Nepal. Our whole team was sick a few times. And it was it was challenging going from Malaysia with this expectation of Nepal and kind of having those expectations crumbled. And so from there, we went to Cambodia. And Cambodia was also very hard. Um, Cambodia was very, very hot. They told us that April and May are the hottest months of the year. And we were in Cambodia in April and May. So it was about 104 every day with a heat index, like 115. Um, and this is where we lived, in tree houses. So um, we didn't have any like buildings with air conditioning or anything. So we were just in the heat all of the time. We drank liters and liters of water to try to stay hydrated. Um, we tried to do some fun things. Nick organized a few fun things to keep us going. Yeah, I mean... it. We felt a little bit about like the Israelites wandering through the desert during this time of just going from country to country, um, not feeling like we had a whole lot of purpose um, because the girls weren't delivering a whole lot of babies, which is the purpose of the school. And so it was extremely challenging to stay motivated um, when we don't speak the language of anyone, so evangelism is is difficult. So yeah, we would just do fun things like organize all of our water jugs in a triangle and bowling, you know, do bowling with something like just little things like that, making a giant slip and slides on some hard surface with just uh, pouring some soap on it. Um, we just had to, had to try to keep our morale up yeah. in those times. Especially because in Cambodia, we were actually in a really remote area and we had been told that we would be right outside Phnom Penh, which is the capital. And when we got there, we were three hours away from Phnom Penh, and that's right outside Phnom Penh. So um, it was really remote. We didn't have any transportation except from to the hospital and back, so we couldn't go anywhere. And it was just like we felt like the Israelites. We're like, what are we doing here? All we're doing is sweating and washing our clothes by hand every day because it's so sweaty and drinking water and, like, trying to survive. And it was really hard at times. And so... Partly because of all those things, our leaders gave us, Nick and I, the option of going back to Perth two weeks earlier than our team because we really needed some um, community. And Nick had been the only guy, and there was almost no men that spoke English in that area, so he had no one, really. And so we went back to Perth two weeks early from Cambodia, and then our team came back um, after two weeks. But in Cambodia was when I finally got to do another delivery. And at that point it had been almost three and a half months since I had done a delivery. And that was a really big struggle for me. There was so much disappointment. I think even in God of you called me to do this school, they promised us opportunities and I'm not seeing those opportunities. And I feel like I'm just wandering around with no meaning right now. And it was really challenging. But our last week in Cambodia, before we headed back to Perth, I felt like God told me that it would be a week of victory. And I really hold on, held on to that word as I went into the hospitals each day. And at that point, everyone on my team had done a delivery in Cambodia except for me. And we were the ones leaving early. So it felt even more this pressure of like, God, you have to come through. You said it's going to be a week of victory. I'm waiting for that to happen. And that week, I did three deliveries. And that was just amazing to see God's faithfulness in that and to see how he came alongside and really nurtured my heart in that moment and really came through on what I felt like he was promising me. And so I love, this was us on Easter Sunday in Cambodia. I love this picture right here and we'll kind of 
uh, wrap up after this. But this picture is me with a baby that I delivered and the grandma. And this baby had been kind of a surprise. And it's, it's quite a funny story. I don't have time to tell it. But basically, the baby was born before they got the mom into the labor room. And so I didn't actually do the delivery, but I did everything else from that point. And they were very thankful that I was there. Um, and I just love this picture because the grandma wanted to take a photo with me. And it just shows how midwifery affects entire families. That it's not just about the baby being born. It's not just about the mom. It affects the entire family. Maybe this baby has been prayed for and waited for for many, many years. Maybe it's the first daughter or the first son. Um, maybe there's all certain, all different circumstances that everyone comes into, into a hospital to have a baby, but it affects the entire family. And being a midwife, you get to be with whole families. And I think, as I said earlier, that's God's heart that we um, get to whole families, not just individuals, because God loves family and he loves when we um, can serve whole families. And sometimes we got to lead whole families to Jesus. And that was amazing. So, yeah. We'll wrap up there. Um, We don't have time for questions, but we'll just share for two minutes what we're up to now in life. Before that, just one minute of, I wanted just to share kind of, so like overall, what did we take away from this trip and what would we like tell other people? The biggest thing, like God is faithful. He's good. We, there was a song called The Goodness of God. Uh, which actually came out while we were in India, I think. And it became one of like the anthems that we just sang over and over and over as we were being kicked out, as we were learning again that we had to move, as we were learning again that we have to learn a new culture and currency and language. We just kept singing that over and over, that God is good. He's always been faithful. He's always been there. When it felt like he wasn't, when it just honestly felt like he wasn't there, he actually was. And so that, that um, I think for both of us, is a big thing that, that we've taken away and that we're trying to cultivate even now. And so, and we will be here in the break after uh, the Lord's Supper if, if you have questions, just so you know. But yeah, so now I'm finishing grad school in counseling. I'm going to work as a counselor and... Uh, right now, we are living with uh, John and Marlene, and so our, our goal is to um, take the load off them and move back into our own place once we can get some income, and Jocelyn is doing some cool things. Yeah, I'm uh, working as a doula as well, like I did before I left on the trip. I'm nannying, and I'm also starting to work with a local midwife as her assistant, and that's really something that Um, God has brought about that I'm really thankful for is that's a calling that I feel like he's placed on my life and I get to do that here in Cincinnati. So long-term, we don't feel called long-term overseas, but we think that God's really given us a heart for missions and for the nations. So we know that's always going to be part of our future. And so it may look like more short-term trips with an organization that we continually work with and go back and do the same thing with them over and over again. Maybe it will look like um, an organization that we start stateside and then help partner with overseas. Um, We don't know exactly what the future holds, but we know that missions is important and that, um, yeah, either we are sending people onto the missions field or we're going ourselves on the missions field. And we want to be part of both of those things. 
So thank you, everyone, again, for prayers and support. And we love you all. And that's it. Word of prayer, yeah. Father, thank you um, just for this opportunity to share. Thank you for the hospitality of of this chapel, just letting us come in here and share. Thank you for everything that you did on our trip, God, and our lives. And just even the things you did in the lives of the people in this room uh, over the year that, that we were gone. Lord, thank you that you're always doing good in our lives. You're always, uh, yeah, you just love us so much, and we just praise you for that today. Um, and we just pray in your name. Amen.